Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so pumped for today's show. We have Josh Alderfer here on the podcast. This guy is Awesome. So father of three, U.S. Military Corps veteran, leadership and coaching consultant with a heavy emphasis on positivity coaching. He also has a, uh, deg- a degree in psychology from CU Boulder, as well as his master's in psychology and athletic leadership from the University of Missouri. This guy is awesome. And we focus on a lot of things. Not only is he a runner, uh, but we really focus on the leadership aspect because so many of you are leaders in your own way, whether it's with your kids, with uh, maybe teams that you coach, maybe, or a combination too, right? Maybe you coach teams that your kids are on, right? Or high school teams or all this other stuff, or maybe even just at work. I really wanted to talk to Josh about positive leadership, not only kind of dismissing some of the tropes that are assigned or not assigned, associated with it, but also how can we utilize it best in our own lives? And that includes me. I had a lot of personal questions for Josh that I asked him because I thought, hey, it might pertain to so many of you as well. Josh is also a runner. So I talked to him about his running as well. Hey, this is a running podcast, that's for sure. But today we're focusing on positive leadership, and I am so excited to get into it. Before we do, I do want to talk about Brio. I love this company, Brio. That's B-R-E-O. Two things that they have that I utilize literally every single day are their mini massage guns and their foot massager. So I use the mini massage gun to get ready for a run. So just quick five minutes activation, especially on like the hoops, the hoops. Oh my God. <laughs> the hoops on the glutes and the hips. I just combined them too. And I'm just going to call them hoops now on the glutes and the hips. That's a huge thing for me, uh, especially quads if I've been doing some hill work. And then love the foot massager at night. Oh my God, the foot massager. It is a family favorite. It is absolutely the best. If you go to us.brio.com, that's B R E O.com, and use code Rambling Runner at, at checkout, you will save 17% on your order. That is a huge amount for something you're going to utilize every single day. This is an investment that I am so glad that I did. My family, my extended family have all purchased the foot massager. They absolutely love it and you will love it too. So go to us.brio.com and use code RamblingRunner today to save 17% on your order. Now, let's get into the podcast with Josh. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here. This is really exciting for me, not only as someone who loves talking to interesting people, but as a father, as are you, you father of young kids, and you're, you coach coaches. And as a coach, I feel like I can get so much from this podcast. So this isn't merely something entertaining for the people who listen to the show, which, hey, I'm all about that. I feel like I'm scratching my own itch here in a sense. So thank you so much for coming on. No, well, thanks for having me, man. It's, it's awesome to be here. All right. I normally don't do this, but because we're going to touch on so many different kinds of things today, when you meet somebody for the first time or you're telling somebody what you do and the things you're interested in, especially in light of what what, what I just said in terms of some of the topics we're going to cover, how do you you know, introduce yourself and explain what you do? Well, just like you said, um, I like to say I, I like to coach coaches, but I also like to just coach individuals. It doesn't have, you don't have to be a coach because a lot of the stuff that I work with, with a coach is foundationally the same as what I would work with, with an individual, whether they're an athlete or someone in a boardroom, it's, 
you know, a lot of the foundational principles are the same. So that's pretty much what I tell them. I'll tell them that I, I coach and uh, yeah. There you go. All right. So when did leadership, not only in terms of being a leader, but someone who wants to spend a lot of their time thinking about it, cultivating it, and just improving on the knowledge base generally and with specific people become an interest of yours? Probably. So I was in the Marine Corps starting in 2003. And probably around the time I, I about two weeks in the boot camp actually is when leadership became something that was like on my radar. And that's, um, I kind of fell into the role of platoon leader. We call it the guide in Marine Corps boot camp. Um, and that was something I was probably trying to avoid up to that point. Cause when I went to boot camp, I thought I'm going to blend into the back, going to do, you know, as mediocre of a job as I can. And hopefully nobody notices me. You were thinking um, survival at that point, not excelling. <laughs> well, when I, before I went to boot camp, that wasn't my thought, but as, as soon as I stepped foot there, I was like, you know what? I need to just survive this. I'm not going <laughs> to, nothing more than that. And, um, it was maybe about two weeks into boot camp that, um, we were doing an obstacle course and I happened to do it rather quickly, I guess. And it caught the attention of somebody. And then our platoon leader at that point injured his knee. Drill instructor called me up. I didn't even think they knew my name at that point because there's 80 other people in your platoon, right? And they're like, hey, you're going to be the guide now. You're going to be the platoon leader. And there went my plans for the next you know, two and a half months of just like surviving where all of a sudden I was in the spotlight. And um, I had no concept of leadership whatsoever. I'd, I mean, I was 19 years old and not sure about anything in life really. And um, I decided I was just going to treat everybody like an equal, really. I mean, I was technically supposed to be leading them or in charge of them, but we were all just recruits in a military boot camp, right? So I tried to just put my neck out there on the line for them and uh, everybody appreciated that and everybody liked that I didn't treat them differently because all of a sudden I was in this position of power. I didn't see it as a position of power at all. And um, from that point forward, I kind of really started to pay attention to leadership principles and started to think about how they applied to my own life, just based on that experience. And um, I went through the entire two and a half months as a platoon leader and graduated boot camp as a platoon leader. And so, yeah. That's an interesting dynamic because oftentimes people who are in leadership positions are there because of some sort of experiences, right? You're like the youth coach, you're the only adult in the room, right? So you're the, you're the leader, right? Or like you're, I have more experience than the people below me so I can, so I can teach them, right? There's some sort of hierarchy that, I mean, sometimes it's, sometimes it's faulty, but oftentimes there is some sort of rationale why this person may be leading another group of people. In this case, this is so interesting because it's almost like they, I'm sure the, the people who chose you had reasons, but it's almost like at random compared to like, hey, there's nothing that differentiates me from my peers right now. And yet here I am. Well, definitely, it definitely felt random. And, and like you say, I'm sure there is some methodology. There was something that they, you know, they wanted to just see if they put me in this role, what would happen or how people would respond or whatever. But I mean, it is, it is typical that, you know, if you're in an organization, it's usually some sort of hierarchy that you work yourself through and, and you find yourself in those positions. Yeah. And when you're trying to connect with people in that leadership role, especially for somebody who is, you know, at this time, like the same age as the people you're working with in the same circumstances that you're working with. And now we're talking more like, you know, peer to peer leadership here, not, you know, coach to youth 
Right. And we'll, we'll, I can't wait to talk about that because most people who listen to this, this show have kids. So I definitely want to talk about that dynamic. But when you're talking peer-to-peer, especially age group perspective or just uh, life experience perspective, what was it like for you balancing the leadership part with the the social connectivity in terms of how much to engage with with your peers and, and sort of that dynamic um, presented in that situation and what you took from that moving forward? Well, boot camp was kind of its own separate entity. So moving past boot camp and, and into my military career, um, the military specifically is kind of it's it's very common for you to have a leader who's younger than the people that they're leading. Um, it's not always the case that the, the oldest guy is the leader. And especially in the Marines, they have these small unit leadership and they have small, small fire teams and, and platoons and things. So leadership is broken down to like the smallest levels. And, um, it's really, it's, it's, it can be a fine line between you're building these relationships, right? Where you understand the people that you're leading and you're friends with them, maybe in your off time, you, they're the people that you would go have a drink with or something like that. But when it comes to work, there needs to be this kind of delineation between, Hey, now I'm, I'm asking you to do this for me as a leader, as opposed to as a friend. Right. But when you have that relationship, you understand what it is that motivates or gets those people working for you. And if you're taking care of yourself, taking care of the leadership principles on your end to be a better leader and a better person for yourself, that's also something that that's evident to the people you're trying to lead and say, hey, they don't want to let you down, those types of things. And they know that you care about them. You put your neck on the line for them. And um, I know in the past few years, I don't know if you've heard of Jocko Wilnick, but uh, yeah, of course, he's written a book called Extreme Ownership, right? And that's really... That's nothing new in, in the military, you know, side of things to own your decisions. Now, I'm not saying the military is full of great leaders. The military is full of great leaders, but they're, not every leader you would come across in the military is going to be a great leader, right? Um, some of them fall into the positions that they're in or, or just through attrition end up being in those positions, you know. But um, yeah, owning that. <laughs> the ram- rambling runner podcast is probably the best. I'm not the best runner, but I can ramble. So you can have go. to just <laughs> you fit right in, man. And you were a good runner too. And you have some very interesting running experiences. So you talk about Jocko and I think people who listen to this podcast might be familiar with his work. Not only is he a, an author, but he has a podcast. He kind of came to light and correct me if I'm wrong. He was on Tim Ferriss's podcast a couple times and then kind of created his own podcast from there. And it's, you know, it's more highly ranked than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, he's, he's uh, definitely made a name for himself, but you know, he's authentic to himself. Right. And that's, that's, he's all about developing himself and, and that, that eventually just, that keeps the ball rolling and, and makes you an authentic person that people want to follow. So who, now you just bring up Jocko and that's a great point. As you were progressing as a leader, and again, we are all progressing all the time, so I'm no, I don't want to put an endpoint on that. But I guess in your formative years of learning some some of this stuff and and taking the next step, and after the, you know, and you also have gotten a master's from Missouri in a really interesting field as well connected to this. Who were some of the people that you looked up to as leaders and either wanted to emulate or have learned from? Well, a lot of times the leaders that I looked up to were the the people that were leading me in that time. So if I think back to, I was, I was working at the American embassy in Sri Lanka at one point and my direct supervisor or my direct leader was a sergeant that, that lived in the house with us and was our, like, he was our detachment leader. Right. And then he had a boss as well, who was also a Marine. And those two, for example, were leaders that I learned a lot from. I learned, you know, 
how to how the exactly what we were talking about earlier balance the like friendship dynamic and the social dynamic with the hey this is work and now we're going to get to work and we're going to do what we have to do and take our job seriously and when we're off we can uh, you know we can all have a good time and not and not be so stressed out right and that that might not be applicable to everybody cuz i i don't know with your listeners if they have social dynamics with the people that they're they're leading or the people that you know but for us we were all my experience in the military was being stationed somewhere where we were overseas in a small group of people. And so we had to live together, but also lead each other, if that makes sense. So, Absolutely. And as you were progressing through the military, and certainly you know, the military is a great place to learn so many different kinds of skills. And people leave the military and go into fields of all sorts, whether that's you know starting their own business and working in all sorts of things, right? There's nothing limiting about it. However, you went into the business of leadership. So tell me about that progression in terms of when you when you saw a finish line potentially with your your military experience that this is a field that you wanted to keep pursuing. Well, for me, it, it kind of just felt natural and made sense. It was something I felt like I understood on like a foundational level. And it was something that I felt called to do to be, you know, helping people to be the best version of themselves and helping people to get the best out of the people around them and not just themselves, but the people around them. So, you know, I've kind of grabbed, uh, I've managed to find myself in different leadership positions and kind of taking the time to, to study it. Right. And to read books, I think, you know, John Maxwell, if you've heard of John Maxwell, he is, is really on, I, I really appreciate a lot of the books that he's written. I've learned a lot from. He's as prolific as a writer as he is in leadership. I mean, he's like the James Patterson of leadership writers. He's like puts out a book every year, it feels like. I know. I think he, I mean, I remember him talking, like hearing on a podcast or something. I think he, at that time, he had like 70 books written or something, oh which God. is insane. I I haven't read all of them, but you know, but he talks about 21 laws, uh, irrefutable laws of leadership or something like that and the five levels of leadership. And and that, that's been really influential to me as well. Um, any of those, any of those big names that have a really thorough understanding of like relationship building and, and caring for the people that you lead and not, you know, not taking these, you know, I think a lot of times people find themselves in leadership positions and they feel like, okay, now's the time that now I'm the boss and everybody's going to listen to me because I am the boss, but it doesn't really work that way. It only gets you so far. And then when, when things get tough, that's when people stop. That's when they look for the real leader. You know, and I, I was just before uh, I moved up to the I'm I'm in Norway now, um, and I moved from Oslo up to the middle of Norway, a place called Inderoy. It's above Trondheim, and um, I moved I moved up here. But my last job was at the American Embassy down in Oslo, and I was a Guard Force supervisor, and I was working with a multinational team of security professionals that secured the American Embassy in Oslo, and um, working with those guys, you know you find out really quick when small emergencies or bigger emergencies protests or things happen at the embassy. If the, the leader isn't always the person who's going to be leading the group when the shit hits the fan, excuse my language. I'm sorry, no, it's fine. but you understand what I mean? Yeah. So, so the real leaders will take control whether they are in the leadership position or not. So, so you have, you can have situations where you have a poor leader who is in charge but when it really matters, they become irrelevant, unfortunately. Right. Like a manager is a title. A leader is just a person. Right. Absolutely. 
No, I like that. Again, and then you, you've, there's other terms that kind of come up, right? You have like the archetypal leader, you know, leader from on high, pounding desks, right? Speaking from a point of authority, you know, follow me or else type feeling. Again, this is an extreme generalization. And people don't actually do that in real life, but uh, at least for a long period of time, because then they're just, what they say? Like, what's a leader without a follower? Just a person going for a walk, right? At some point, <laughs> exactly. you just become that person, right? Exactly. Um, and then the other side, where you have like the servant leadership model. Which is like, again, which is also a great saying. It's really interesting. But again, like, you can't just be serving. You also have to be the point of, all right, I'm the tip of the spear on some level with some of this stuff, um, which is interesting. Now, as you progress down, because what you're doing from a, you know, helping coaches become, you know, positive influence, focusing on positive coaching and doing that with youngsters, right, of various ages, I feel like this is really critical because... So many people that are listening to this, you know, they're helping out with, you know, say girls on the run, the middle school, high school running teams, things like that, or even just their, their youth coach, right? Like, so I coach runners, I coach college basketball, and I also help out with like my kids teams and stuff like that to say nothing of just me as like a parent who wishes he was more positive plenty of times out of the day. Well, you're extremely so busy. I'm excited, I yeah, well, I'm excited to learn about the positive side of this and when that started to become a focus that you wanted to study and implement in your coaching, not only as a practice, but as something that this is a hallmark feature of some of the things that you're offering uh, as a professional. Well, I kind of stumbled across that actually, because um, when I got out of the military, like I said, I um, I went right back. We I, I met my wife in Norway, got out of the military. We returned to Norway. I got a job at the American embassy. This was after college, by the way. So I had an tr untraditional path to the university because I went to the military first and then got my four-year degree. Came back to Norway, went to the American embassy and my wife got my wife and I were pregnant with our first son. And um, I felt like I wanted to expand my education. I don't know. I, I felt like I didn't have enough on my plate. I don't know. And uh, so I started looking around for, for um, educational programs that fit kind of what I wanted to do. And I, I was always interested in psychology. Psychology was my bachelor's degree, but I realized I didn't really want to work in a field where I was trying to diagnose psychological issues. I was more interested in the positive aspects of how psychology can help people have a better mm -hmm. life and people who are already striving for good to be even better. And so I kind of came across this positive coaching and performance psychology degree from the University of Missouri, and it was offered 100% online, which was perfect because I was living in Oslo. And um, and as I went through that degree and started taking courses, I was like, wow, this is really, really relevant and valuable stuff that people need to know. And I have a, I have a child on the way, and this is, you know, I'm starting to really shift my focus to understanding that our kids need the best leaders in our community that they can have so they can then in turn become better people, better leaders, better members of our society and our community, have better lives. I mean, we're looking at, you know, obesity issues and, um, and health issues in children, but we're also looking at opioid epidemics. And, you know, you don't hear much about that kind of stuff right now, but that's all those things are an issue that our kids face growing up in the world today. And in addition to that, uh, you know, you have the social media and the, and the amount of screen time the kids have and the, and everything else. And you start to worry, like, are we failing our kids by not providing them with the opportunities they, for, for fun and exciting, um, times with sports. And so, like I said, as I worked through that degree, I realized how valuable this was. And so my initial thought with the degree was that I was going to help individuals become better 
in their own world, whatever that was. If they were, you know, if they were in the boardroom or they were an athlete or something, I wanted to be able to provide them with good tools for that. But as I went through the education, I was like, wow, this is actually something that's very valuable for our society today. Yeah, I'm, I'm interesting to know. Interested to know as you were progressing through your studies and learning some of this stuff, you had been you had done plenty of leadership up to that point. Like you had been in the field, literally and figuratively, as a leader. So you're also you're you're reading these books about leadership, about positive leadership. Did they hit the right note with you right away, or was there some skepticism about some of this positive leadership stuff? Because as a as someone who, yeah, not, this isn't about me. We're talking about you here, but. Like I'll read some of that stuff, like some of the positive parenting stuff, some of the positive uh, leadership stuff. And when I was a, a college coach, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then like I'd go into practice and it was like out the window, like as soon as there was like, you know, you know, you know, you know what hitting the fan. And I wonder how that worked out for you. No, well, you know what? I think everything that I read resonated with me. And that's that's why I got so into it, because, you know, the, what it was doing, what the education did for me was give like uh a, ter a terminology really, or a vocabulary to helping, to helping you, for example, or people like you to, to understand, Hey, this is maybe what I need to do to focus on myself. Because a lot of times with the positive coaching and the positive psychology, and when we talk about transformational leadership, which is basically this like positive coaching style, right? So if you're not familiar, tra transformational leadership is, is a way of leading where you're trying to get the best out of the individual and for that individual to be a better version of themselves through your leadership. Whereas transactional leadership would be the kind of opposite of that, where it's like a give and take situation, right? Where like, I want something from you. And so you're going to provide that for me, that type of leadership. If that's, if you understand what I mean. Right. The, the, like, if you eat your vegetables, I'll give you dessert. Like, yeah. Kind of, <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> kind of like that. And, uh, <laughs> You know, yeah. And so if you want to use it, go with that example. So that would be one way of saying, yeah, I'll get, uh, I'm going to bribe you this way. Whereas you could, you know, as your kids get older, of, of course, maybe not as a two-year-old, but, you know, early on you can start explaining, hey, we have strong food and weak food and this type of food makes your body stronger. And this type of food makes your body a little weaker. And maybe you're a little more tired during the day, or you're a little more grumpy because these are the foods you're eating. And so that, that is kind of, yeah, applicable in that way, right? Right. I like that because it, it, it again, you know, not that you'll you would necessarily this occur as a parent per se. Uh, I think you you can age out of it, but you almost like want to put yourself out of business in a sense, right? Yeah, like you want absolutely. To, you want to lay the foundation for them to all of a sudden be able to take those skills and run with it, so then you can take then take a step back. And that's applicable whether you're talking about kids or you're talking about somebody that you that works for you. You want to set them up to be the most successful version of themselves that they can be. So one day they say, hey, I got this opportunity to leave this company and go do this job. And this is what I really want to do. And you're like, hey, I hope I set you up for success. You're not trying to, you're not trying to hold them in to you, right? And and keep them down and and constantly have them providing something for you. It's I want to, I want to set you up for success as an individual. So let's let's say let's like define our terms here. When we're talking about positive leadership, or someone comes up to you and you're like, "All right, you're into positive leadership," what is that? What exactly does that mean? Well, I, I guess, like I said before, it's more of like a transformational style leadership where you're talking about leadership where you are trying to make that person the best version of themselves, right? And you're not trying to beat them down and that type of thing. Now, I like to kind of talk about when we talk about, I know you want to talk about coaching. And so I'm thinking about positive coaching. And I think positive coaching kind of gets a, 
it's it's misunderstood in a lot of ways because people think positive coaching they think like precipitation or participation trophies and everybody's a winner and this and that right and maybe there's a small element of that but we can talk about that a little bit later but the point i'm trying to make is that positive coaching is specifically a type of coaching that's science-based and research-based and is a way to to approach leadership that develops the individual is basically and develops we're talking about youth we're talking about developing youth to be the best version of self teaching teaching character because a common misnomer out there is that people say sports builds character but the reality is sports have the propensity to build character if that is the focus of the coach and the people that are leading those kids it also has a propensity to destroy character and you could probably think of examples of how that's true Right. I mean, how, in the Netflix, now in the Netflix world, right, your mind immediately goes to because certainly our age group, so you have like the Cobra Kai model where it's like that's sports, that's coaching. It wasn't exactly a positive thing. <laughs> right. For, right. for some of those kids, as opposed to, you know, the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, and that's why you have situations where where young athletes do extremely like play dirty to win because it's like a win at all costs. Right. Well, I, I think that positive coaching focuses more on success as being the best version of yourself. And, and I, I know you've heard of John Wooden, right? I mean, you're familiar with John Wooden. And, you know, he would say that I heard him say that there were there were games where he could think where his team lost and he was proud of them. And there were games when he saw his team win and he was not proud at all of their performance because he knew their level that they could be playing up to and should be playing up to. And that's a that's more of a positive psychology or positive coaching approach to coaching. It's not winning is kind of a byproduct of positive coaching and winning is important. You can learn a lot from winning and you can learn a lot from losing. So it's not like everybody's a winner. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and I try to th- think in my head, okay, I put myself in a position I'm out on the field, I'm out on the court and I'm instructing some, 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 some people here and I can imagine when things are going well, it's super easy to be positive, right? right? It's incredibly easy to be positive when things are going well. When things are neutral or you're introducing a new skill, right, or a new play, it's, again, it's easy to be positive. Hey, if we do this, we're going to succeed. Just do this, this, right? When things start veering into the negative direction where, like, all right, somebody who you've been teaching for a while still isn't getting it. Maybe the tone of the practice isn't going the way you want it to. You have athletes that you're coaching or just kids that you're coaching um, or even assistant coaches who are just being negative in a way that's detrimental to the team. What are some of the strategies that we can use in those moments to start to turn things around uh, so it doesn't continue to go down in that negative cycle? Well, specifically in that moment, I mean, you can start to think about the fact that this is one moment and this moment will pass and we need to just take a deep breath. At any time, you can decide to make a better decision, right? The second you realize, wow, I'm starting to get off track here a little bit, you just take a split second to get yourself back on track and just acknowledging the fact that, hey, I'm starting to lose control here. And this is the same as a parent too, I'm sure. You know, like you got a house full of kids screaming around and you're ready to yell at somebody and you catch yourself and you say, all right, I can take a deep breath here and I can get back on track. Now, a lot of these things we like to try to avoid ahead of time. And there's strategies and techniques that we can employ to to do that. Things like making something called an uh, anticipation script where you anticipate a specific type of thing happening and how you would then react to that. So you can, 
I don't know, I, I could take it to your example where you're trying to teach a teach a new play and all of a sudden nobody's getting it and you're starting to get a little stressed out. Like you can imagine what things might happen and you can say, hey, if this happens, this is how I'm going to respond to that. And so that's already in your head when you get into that situation. And we can also work on resiliency and resiliency is kind of a buzzword at this point, but it's a, it's a hot topic, but it's really applicable to everybody from coaches to the athletes that you're coaching, to the kids that you're, you're raising. And, and the little things every day are kind of what build resiliency. You don't have to have one, one massive, massive, a plan or approach to building resiliency, but rather it's in all the little things that you don't want to do that you force yourself to do anyway. Right. It's like, maybe you don't feel like taking the trash out when it's filling up, right? Or maybe you don't feel like making your bed in the morning, or you don't feel like putting the dishes in the dishwasher, whatever it is that you don't feel like doing, and you force yourself to do that anyway, you're kind of flexing that muscle a little bit more, and you're training that a little bit more. And then when you find yourself in these situations on the athletic field, you have a little bit more strength to kind of overcome these challenges before you break down, if you follow what I mean. No, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And then when just from like when to comment and how to comment. This is something that I know I struggle with. And I know uh, talking to friends, they, they've struggled with this as well. It's like, all right, something is happening. Right. And do I just, do I just throw out positive, like not in a positive, but like I'm trying to make sure I, I say this the right way, like complimenting, not the mundane, but the stuff that like, all right, it's easy to compliment. Hey, like nice pass or, or whatever, like, right. Just throwing out a string of compliments versus, um, just not necessarily commenting all the time, just so that my, my, my whenever I do talk, my words have more weight, there's more gravity behind them. Um, and then also going to like, all right, we can talk about when to criticize and how to criticize later, but just like the idea of how often should I be complimenting things that are, that I know that they already know how to do versus, all right, no, I'm gonna hold back so that when I do open my mouth, that it holds more weight and it will grab their attention more. Well, I think you have to stay authentic to yourself and um, in that way. So if you're somebody who who constantly is complimenting people as in general or complimenting those types of things, you can kind of stay true to that. But I think that kids and uh, young adults easily see through the, hey, good pass, good pass. Way to go, Johnny. Like if it's just constant, like, like it's they just should- like background noise at some point. Yeah, it, it'll turn into background noise, in my opinion, or what I've seen so far, it has been. But I think that- if you understand your purpose out there and your purpose is that you're going to develop these kids into to, to better leaders and, and you look at different elements of character development, you can start filtering your behavior through what you've defined as success, right? So it's whatever your team's success looks like to you, and you can kind of start start building your, your whole system around that. And um, I know we like to, I like to have, have coaches kind of sit down and say, if I'm going to build character, these are the things I'm going to do every day. These are the things I'm going to do once a week, maybe. And these are the things I'm going to do, you know, once a month that are going to contribute to building character within my athletes. And that could be things like, that could be things like, I'm going to be sure that I communicate everything or X, Y, or Z Every day, every day, I'm going to communicate these things because that's going to build strong leadership, strong character in my athletes. Or every time we have a game, I'm going to make sure that my athletes line up and shake everybody's hand 
at the end of the match, win or lose. It doesn't matter if we lose, we're not running off the field. We're going to stay here. We're going to shake everybody's hand or whatever it is. You understand? But, but having that kind of framework in place can then help guide your interaction with your team. So it takes a lot of work before you get on the field, kind of planning how you want to approach your practice, planning how you want to approach your games, how you want to approach your interaction with your coaching staff, how you want to interact with your players ahead of time, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And what about when it's time to correct or when that correction turns into some sort of like, you you can tell even if you're not intending it to be, that you can tell that the recipient of the correction is taking it in a negative light and all of a sudden maybe taking the correction personally or something like that where all of a sudden, you know, you want to make sure that people are improving and in order to improve, they have to, they have to make corrections in order to get there. And all of a sudden you realize that even if you feel like you're approaching the situation in the right way and you've thought this out, all of a sudden you can tell that the person who's actually receiving it isn't receiving it the way that you would hope that they would. Um, what, what happens kind of in those sorts of circumstances? I would say in those situations, you could kind of course correct in the moment. Say if you are, because I mean, yes, you're right. People need feedback in the moment, right? It's, it's not always helpful to give feedback on something that happened an hour ago that was like a minute detail of a play, right? But if you notice that they are, this is part of building those relationships too. And, and it's part of understanding the, your athletes and your, the people you're leading, excuse me, as best as you can, is if you notice that on them, you can take a step back. Maybe it doesn't need to be said, but then after practice or after the game, kind of pull them aside or find them at a private time and talk to them and say, hey, I noticed that it seemed like you were reacting a certain way to how I was talking to you. Is there something about what I was saying? Or maybe they have something going on and you may have interpreted it as them being reacting very negatively to what you were saying, but really their heads off in, you know, their girlfriend or boyfriend just dumped them or something else happened in their life that you're not aware of at the time. So yeah, I would say in those moments, you could take your foot off the gas a little bit and then find them in a private time and kind of try to connect with them and find out what it is that's going on. I love that you talk about approaching that later on, because I know that in my own case, even when I haven't intended to, there are times when I have escalated the situation. Um, there are certain times where I've escalated on purpose and, you know, like, I, we can't have this right now type stuff, as opposed to, again, with the idea of like, I'm not trying to escalate this, but sometimes by addressing their own negativity or my perceived version of their negativity in the moment, that simply enhances that negativity. And all of a sudden, we're now we're also we're going down a path that really isn't necessarily beneficial to what we're trying to go. Absolutely. And that that's what you're trying to avoid as best as possible. And you know what? You might that might happen. That that's going to happen. I mean, nobody's perfect in these scenarios, myself included. I can't find myself in the exact same scenario you're talking about. But it's when you realize, hey, this is going off the rails. You need to be able to take a breath, take a step back and regroup. Yeah, it's like that that metacognition part for me I know can get tough, right? Of like seeing myself away from myself and I in analyzing the situation as opposed to being like, you know, almost like drunk with emotion in the moment. Well, that takes a lot of practice and we're all still working on that, myself included. I mean, and again, that's that's why we that's why you take those those minutes of, I I don't know, I mean, you can call it you can do meditation, you can do something that gets your mind just completely disconnected for, or in the moment, perhaps, you know, I actually just started with a, with an app by Sam Harris called waking up and it's a, 
It's just a meditation app. And all it is, is just getting you to focus for, for as long as you can for like, right now I'm in like five to 10 minute blocks of just like your breath, right? And, and noticing how much your mind runs away from your breath when you're trying to focus on it. And it, but it's when you recognize it and you bring it back, but that's like a muscle too, just like the resiliency thing we were talking about, like being able to keep yourself calm or notice that you're going off the rails and coming back, you know, it takes practice. Well, I want to talk about your running as well. And you, one of the first thing I want to talk about from a running perspective is you've done one of the coolest things I've ever seen as a runner. I'm a huge sports fan, right? So this is a running podcast. I've told you about the basketball side, but I love all sports for sure. And you know, you at Colorado grad, you're out there with the Buffalo on the field. Tell me about this. Paint the picture for the people who don't know what I'm talking about, because this is like super exciting. I was like all about this when I saw the pictures of you doing this, because this is something that I've known about for a very, very long time. Um, and this is like you're going back to the Eric Bieniemy days, not him as offensive coordinator, but him as a running back. And this is just this is exciting to know someone who's actually done this. Hey, so so Ralphie is the live bison mascot that's at the University of Colorado. She's a 1,300-pound American bison. People refer to her as a buffalo, but technically it's an American bison. And she leads the the Colorado Buffaloes football team out on the field at every home game. And in the event they make a uh, bowl game, she usually heads out to the bowl game as well. Um, Actually, they just retired Ralphie 5, which was the buffalo that I ran with last year. And they're on their sixth buffalo now. It's Ralphie 6. She just started running this season. So if you go searching for Ralphie 6, you're going to see a little buffalo because she's still growing. (laughs) Now, people ask me all the time, Ralphie, isn't it a guy? But it's it's a female buffalo because a female gets 1,300 pounds and the male gets like 2,600 pounds. So a male bison would just be next to impossible. And I've stood next to a male bison. They can be up to seven feet tall at the hump and their heads are massive. So female bison is good enough, but she's quick, she's fast, and she's very exciting for the for the fans to uh, see. All right. So, so tell me logistically what's happening here. So you're running beside her. You're not the only one. So what, 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 what's going on and what are you guys actually doing slash holding? Okay. So there's, there's five, five, uh, we call them handlers or Ralphie handlers, right? There's the team usually consists of maybe between 13 and 15. I'm not I don't remember now exactly how many are on the team, but we rotate through who gets to run with her during a game and she'll run before kickoff and before halftime or after halftime, before the second half of the game. Um, And there's five on the Buffalo at one time. So there's two in the front, two on the back, like two by her, by her head, two in the back legs, and then one in the way back. And the one in the way back, that was my position on every time I ran with an exceptional once. And that's because I was by far the slowest, biggest guy on the team. <laughs> and um, I just never had the speed to run up front. So everybody's holding on to a rope. The guys up front have, they they do kind of like drive her. Now she's trained to run in this like horseshoe pattern, but we've done practices. When I was on the team, we used to do practices where we would take her like around some cones and things. So there was some control, believe it or not. But um Guys up in the front are kind of trying to keep her head a little bit up with the ropes because if she gets her head down, that's like her full speed position. And if she's in full speed, you can get into a little bit of trouble because she's oh, like, a little like, bit too They're fast. like a little governor on, on the top end speed here. And then the guy in the way back, which is me, is kind of trying to sit back and hold onto this rope and uh, maybe slow her down a little bit, but at least put some weight into her a little bit. You're like a human parachute. A little bit, a little bit. But yeah, like I said, it, it was, you know, it, it was a lot of adrenaline. It was a lot of fun. Um, I remember, so my wife and I actually, 
we both went to the University of Colorado and we went to our first home. We were like, oh, we're st- we were 25, I guess. And we were a freshman, right? And we like, we got to go to the freshman, you know, the, the student, the student section of the stands and experience a college football game for like all it is. And Ralphie comes running out and I hadn't even, heard, I didn't know anything about Ralphie before that. And I was, somebody in the behind us was like, Hey, if you go down there, you, you can try out and be a part of the team. They're all students who, who do that. I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I just got out of the military and I was like, all right, I need something else to kind of jack up the adrenaline a little bit and be a part of a team. I mean, I, I missed the camaraderie of the team too. So it was amazing. Well, that's exciting. Well, so you, yeah, I'm not going to say this is like the start of your running journey. This is the start of the running part of our conversation. That was but, the- <laughs> but you mentioned before, you weren't the fastest guy, um, but here you are. You're, you're still running. You're an ultra marathoner, which is really exciting. Did you know that you would become again where did when did running click in for you not only something that was part of another something that you were doing right there's some people get into running because hey i was on the soccer team we had to run right you're in the military you got boot camp you have to run like that's part of you know what what your daily practice is at certain points in your career when did running become something more than an obligation for you well you know i i ran cross country in high school and i did that because initially I did that because I was trying to get into shape for ice hockey. And my cousin who was a wrestler, he was like, Hey, I started running cross country because it got me in good shape for wrestling. I was like, I'll do that for, for ice hockey. I was never a good ice hockey player and I was never a good cross country runner, to be honest. I, uh, I, um, when we ran cross country, you know, that was actually probably the most fun I had in high school though. When I think about it, because that team was probably the tightest knit group of people that I was ever a part of up to that point. And, um, there was something about pushing yourself physically in those scenarios in long distance. Well, for for a teenager, you know, a five and ten k felt like long distance, you know, and and so pushing yourselves in those long distances, we kind of all kind of bonded in that struggle. But at the same time, we all nobody had this pressure because nobody was really competing against anyone other than themselves, right? I mean, maybe we kind of collectively wanted to see who would run faster and everybody knew who was the fastest and who was the slowest, right? But that wasn't really the focus of the team, right? It was just to go out there and do this. And man, it was it was a lot of fun. But I, I remember <laughs> I remember a few times long runs where me and a few guys snuck out and uh, dipped into the pizza place while the rest of the team <laughs> took their run. We kind of cut back in at the end. And so that kind of should give you an idea of of the seriousness of my of my cross country experience. We've had people on this podcast say that they used to get out of gym fake fake injuries, illnesses to get out of gym class because they didn't want to run and they've been now they're on a running podcast. So, I mean, you're not, you're not the only one on this, on this front. No, no, but you know what? I still eat a ton of pizza. Anybody who knows me, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing. And ever since I started training for an ultra marathon, I think it was like three to four pizzas a week. <laughs> That's a story. I've, I've been on your website and I thought I was looking at like, as like a new, like, you know, marketing company at the bottom. Cause it says like, powered by or like created by pizza and espresso i'm like oh that's an interesting name for a company i'm like no that's an inside joke this is this <laughs> that's no, an inside no company joke. named that fueled by pizza and espresso or espresso yeah that's that's pretty much that's pretty much <laughs> that's, it that's <laughs> now did you know when you were at um uh, at boulder that you would become an ultra runner at some point or did did, 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 did that coalesce while you were there because obviously like when you're talking about american running cities that's like if if not the top of the list, like pretty close to it. Well, as remarkable as that might sound, but I I didn't get into trail running or running at all while I was there. I did run the Boulder Boulder, but that was just because they were you know it's just like something if you live there you have to run that. I mean that's just you know we were in Boulder for maybe five years and I never got into trail running there. And now in hindsight, I'm like man, I wish I would have. But um, 
but yeah, no, I, I got into, I got back into running. So my wife, so we have three kids. I have a seven-year-old son and we have three-year-old twin daughters and they're identical twins. They were born yeah, three years ago. And so three years ago was when I started kind of getting back into running and we bought a, like a twin jogging stroller, like a Thule, like glide or whatever it's called. And, uh, so I started running around with them a little bit, but I wasn't sure I, you know, I watched my wife, you know, 24 hours of labor with twins. And then like, subsequently I read, or I heard an interview with David Goggins talking about like doing these hundred mile races. I was like, huh, that sounds like something I might want to be into. <laughs> so I started looking into these ultra marathons. I was like, look, you don't even have to be fast. You just have to endure. And I'm way more into like enduring and struggling through things than I am like speeding down. Like I could never run track because I just, I just never have been fast. Like I said, I think when I was in the Marines, we did a physical fitness test and uh, that, that test was a three mile running test. And at the height of my training and like by height, peak physical performance was an 18 minute, three mile, which is relatively quick for a 5k. Right. But that was like at my pinnacle where I was pushing myself to the limit as a 20 some year old young man. Right. So, so when I heard about ultra marathons and like being able to just go out there and just push yourself and not stopping and, and you just keep moving forward, basically, you could even walk at points. I'm like, this is the kind of running race I need to get into. <laughs> and so I started training for that. And, um, I realized really quickly that, um, I didn't have the time to train for that. So it took me two and a half years, almost three years before I got serious and said, you know what? All right. My kids are old enough now where they can take care of themselves enough where I can devote some more time and my wife can, you know, because anytime you go out on a long run, it's like you're setting your spouse up for. Oh, the the parental guilt. It's not even towards the kids. It's towards your spouse. You're like the spousal guilt is like, it's, it's real. Oh, it's real for sure. Because, you know, as I was working up to this, my first ultra marathon, just this past, uh, this past August, it was like, it was like five hours out running and, and driving to these places. And I'm like, man, my wife's here on a Saturday with my three kids at home. I know it's like, I hope it's still standing when I get home. <laughs> oh my God. I know it's so true. So when you, so the, the idea pops in your head, you see David Gong is doing his thing. And again, you're a military vet. So obviously there's some sort of connection there, but David Dong has inspired lots of people that have no connection to the military whatsoever. And it, I, it's, it really is interesting to see people who get into it with like, all right, I'm going to endure. I can do this like test of will. I can let, let's go after it. When you actually were, were now training and you're going through some of the training um, to get to that point. What did it feel like for you to to put yourself on the line like that in that training to prepare yourself for that ultra marathon? Was it something that you felt like you'd experienced that kind of thing in the past or was or were these new feelings that were arising? Yeah, well, let's talk about that because, you know, David Goggins, the, David Goggins didn't really inspire me in the sense that I wanted to be like David Goggins and like suffer through like some ridiculous because I mean, the things that he does is just like somewhat not human and probably not recommended for most people, myself included. Right, right. It's, it's like being inspired to run a marathon by Elliot Kipchoge. You're like, I'm not going to break two, <laughs> but I like some of the stuff that's going on over here. Exactly, exactly. And so I took as smart of as an approach as I could to training for this. So I actually went out and I found a coach, a running coach, uh, Ryan Miller, his name is, and he um, he put together a program for me. I found a nutritionist um, 
Maddie Alm, she was a University of Colorado oh, graduate. Of course, yeah. You know Maddie. Well, I mean, she's, uh, we, she's we, awesome. We've sent messages back and forth, and I mean, she's a pro runner. She runs, you know, Team Boss Hard, and like she's obviously like an unbelievable athlete. And to say nothing of her skills as a pro. And she, her approach to nutrition was just so legit because it's so it's about you, the things that you already eat, and just tailoring those things. And, and not being ashamed of having a bowl of cereal or these things that, you know, people are like sometimes in the running world or even people looking from the outside, looking in and think, oh, I, I got to eat so clean and I can't, you know, there's no shame in, in having a, you know, a scoop of ice cream or a, or a cinnamon bun after you run, you know, it's like, <laughs> so I really was, I was intrigued by her approach to that. But anyway, so I tried to take a very, very, very smart approach to training and build slowly, get enough sleep get enough water and and do the mobility and stretching work as much as I could. And I'm happy to say that I went from running a maximum of 10K and it took me a little over an hour when I started training back in March up to running, I think my longest training run prior to running the ultra was like 24 miles or something like that at a pace that was like nine and a half minutes for 24 miles. And I was injury free the entire time. I didn't have any issues with knees or legs or hips or backs or any of that stuff. And I attribute it all to taking it slow, running your easy runs easy, not pushing too hard, not being ashamed of the fact that you're running like a nine or 10 minute mile for these training runs and just building that that engine slowly. And it paid off big time. Well, were you able to put your, uh, you know, your, your coaching practices to good use? For yourself, like, were you able to like stay on the positive side, and you know, even when training might not be going the way you wanted it to go, or when say a, a, a run, a, say a particular run, all of a sudden again, this was the thing that you always hear about ultras, right? Like you're going to be, you're going to hit those low moments, and what do you do next? And are you able to keep going? Were you able to put some of the things that you've learned into use in those moments? Definitely, and I, I definitely think that that having a plan for that ahead of time, and that's something like I said we talked about before. I encourage everybody to to develop a plan for when they hit those moments, and whether you're coaching or you're running a marathon or an ultra marathon, plan for those moments when you hit those walls, and what are the things you're going to say? What are you What are you going to say to yourself in those moments, and how are you going to assess the difference between an injury and just you know pain, for example, right? Um, and so I definitely was able to put those into 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 the works while I was training, but then also in the the race that I just ran as well. Um, just being in the moment, I think, is so critical, especially in those in those. I mean, I, I said in the the kind of the recap Instagram post that I posted out, I was really grateful and had a lot of gratitude coming out of that racing experience, and that wasn't that wasn't BS. I mean, I was really just happy to be able to have trained up to that point gone and executed the race plan as best as I could. I made some rookie mistakes that kept me from making the entire hundred kilometers, but you live and you learn. And there's no such thing in my book as a failure until you stop trying, you know? So it's all, everything's a lesson. There's not, it's not failure. It's, it's a, it's a life lesson. I love that. So you're going to get back on the horse. You're going to actually get back on the Buffalo. You're going to go, go for a next one or what, what, what's up next from a running perspective? You know, we're coming into the winter and I don't know how much traveling I'm going to do outside of Norway. So I don't know how many, how many races I'm going to hit before the winter, but, um, my birthday is in April and I know on my birthday, there's a 50 and a hundred miler, um, that I'm going to hit one of those two. I have to figure out come January where I am as far as if my goal is going to be 50 or a hundred. Um, because my goal for all these, all the ultra marathons is to go through it without 
like, I don't want to be David Goggins where I, my feet are broken and I got to use a wheelchair for a week or whatever, you know, like, right. like I want to go through these. And I, and I should say, people who've read his book, make sure you read the whole thing. Because in the last chapter, he talks about all of this. He says, don't do what I did. I'm telling you this so you don't do this stuff. So like, learn from my mistakes. Because people like, they, they glorify that part and they're like, but I, you know, and they're like, can you read the last chapter, please? Because he tells everybody, can you please start stretching? I now stretch two hours a day because I didn't stretch for 20 years. So please learn from my mistakes. But you know, I think that it's interesting that 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 we live in a in a world now where where things are so easy for us and our lives are so nice that we have to actually go out and search for these experiences to find this struggle and find is, these opportunities to push ourselves because because we really need that. I think I truly believe in my core that as human beings, we need to find some struggle. We need to work through that. We need to put ourselves in adverse or like adverse situations and push ourselves through those situations to become the best versions of ourselves. And so, yeah, it's interesting that, that we're, we see such a boom in ultra marathons and, and all these different types. I mean, when people do a CrossFit workout, I think that's the same thing. I mean, they get the camaraderie of the CrossFit, but they also have that struggle of going through those, those high intensity workouts, you know? Right. Cause you get the, cause you, you, you need like the struggle, but you also need the payoff, right? You need the struggle and the overcoming. Right. So you need to be able to see both um, the yin and the yang. Because if you only get the struggle without the overcome, it's like, all right, I give, right? Some of us might be in the middle of it now. So you got to just keep just keep moving forward one step at a time, you know? That's exactly right. Even if it's the small victories. Like, hey, I finished. I got back home. I don't, not a lot of else went right, but I'm here. So there you go. Absolutely. And so for me, you know, I only finished 50 out of my 100 kilometers that I wanted to do. But I, I, I missed a cutoff time by four minutes at, the, at that mark. And so with that experience, I learned the next time I'll probably pay attention to my watch just a little bit more and maybe, uh, you know, but, I, but it was still, it was still 20 kilometers more than I had ever run at that point. And so I felt like in some ways that was a success, but of course it's not over. And of course I'm going back in August to finish that race, but hopefully I hit some more in the meantime. That's a great way of looking at it. Josh. I feel like I can talk to you for a lot longer. It's amazing. It's already been over almost an hour already. It feels like we started talking 10 minutes ago. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we get going, if someone wants to learn more about you, wants to work with you, or consider working with you uh, to help them become a better coach, where should they go? I think the easiest thing would just be mastermindperformance.com. That's my website address. And um, it's straightforward, mastermindperformance, all one word, .com. And uh, you can click the links there and uh, send me an email and we can chat. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This guy absolutely rocks. Head over to his website today, mastermindperformance.com, if you want to learn more about him or if you're thinking about working with Josh. He's definitely an awesome guy. That is for sure. With so much information, we were just scratching the surface today on a lot of this stuff, but I'm so glad that we did it. Also, big shout out to Brio for sponsoring the podcast I love that company. I say it every time I do an ad read for them, but it's true. They make such great stuff. Check out the foot massager. Check out the mini massage gun. If you hate foam rolling, then use a mini massage gun instead. It's going to do the same thing, and it's so much more enjoyable. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Oh, man, I'm glad I'm, I'm keeping this uh, little part in because if you're listening to this part of the podcast, you've listened all the way through to here, then you are a huge fan. I just want to let you know, I started a YouTube channel. So it's called Rambling Runner Reviews. I'm doing a lot of shoe running reviews on there and some coaching tips as well. 
I can't wait. This is something that I've been thinking about for a very long time. If you go to the show notes or you just go to YouTube and you just search bar Rambling Runner will take you right to it. Had the first shoe review on there this week, the Puma Velocity Nitro. I'm also going to have the uh, ZoomX Invincible, Nike ZoomX Invincible on there next week. And we're going to do some, some coaching stuff on tapering with my good friend, James McCurdy, as well as some other things. That's going to basically round out September. We're going to get into a lot more stuff in October as well. I want to give that shout out because if you're listening to this, I think you'll really enjoy it. So again, thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.